For a guy who got into tech accidentally, Bob Worrell has had a ton of success throughout his career. Bob cut his teeth working at Sun Microsystems, and today he serves as the SVP and Chief Information Officer at Juniper Networks. With Juniper, Bob helped lead a shift to a cloud-only system, and on this episode of IT Visionaries, he discusses the ups and downs of that seven-year process. Plus, he talks about the role of innovation at Juniper and the ways in which the industry has changed throughout his career. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we have on location at Juniper Networks HQ. Bob, what's going on? How are you? Nice it's, to meet you, Ian. It's a great day. It's nice <laughs> it's to meet beautiful. you as well. It's beautiful. Um, we are going to talk all things your career, Juniper Networks, NVIDIA, some microsystems, many more. So uh, flash forward to today. Tell me about the scope of your role as CIO of Juniper Networks. Yeah, the role here at Juniper is pretty traditional CIO role. So we're responsible for all the corporate services, corporate applications, uh, laptop support, networking. I also have cybersecurity responsibilities. So our chief information security officer rolls up into into me. I have the benefit of uh, being a direct report to our CEO. So a um, member of the C-level staff. So that gives me a lot more visibility into what's going on, some of the business priorities around the company and how we can adjust the IT priorities and, and such to align to that. So that's kind of a great benefit. The thing that I'm not responsible for that maybe distinguishes me and us here at Juniper a little bit is we have a clear line of demarcation between IT and what I'll refer to as um, engineering development, mm-hmm. right? So there's an infrastructure team that looks after some of the uh, internal workings of engineering. We have a great relationship with them, but it's more of a handshake relationship but otherwise, very traditional, you know, SAP implementations, a uh, couple hundred corporate applications, um, uh, you know, the usual stuff. And so how much do you spend, like, working with customers, working on product versus, like, internal employee experience type stuff? Yeah, the vast majority of it is, is internal. Um, I spend a little bit of time on customers. I spend a fair amount of time at our executive briefing center mm-hmm. here on campus. Answering a lot of questions about how we run the company with our own products, you know, what are the IT priorities and so on. Um, I spend less time on the product side other than we do have kind of a unique role, I should have mentioned earlier, uh, in terms of running Juniper on on Juniper's own products. Yeah. You can refer to it whatever euphemism you like, uh, drinking your own champagne, eating your own dog food or whatever. Um, but we intentionally try to act as customer number one, we call it. And so we deploy products very early. I provide a lot of product feedback to engineering in hopes that, you know, it leads to better products or maybe debugs early products. And so that's probably the main touch point back into products uh, for me here at, at Juniper. I think the implication of eating your own dog food would be, is the dog eating the human food at that point? <laughs> like, Which is which? Yeah. 
Um, now it's, um, I like to say that it's probably compared to companies I've worked at where we didn't have this relationship. It's a little bit more difficult for the IT people at Juniper because we often use intentionally. So we often use products that are brand new, right? Mm -hmm. Brand new. In fact, sometimes alpha and beta products and they naturally have more bugs, right? And that kind of sucks for us sometimes. But if you think of it from the perspective of making the experience better for the customers eventually, that's, that's goodness. So, yeah. And uh, you, yeah, taking the, uh, the early, the early alphas and betas to, uh, to work that stuff out. I'm sure they appreciate it in the, in the long run. Usually, but not always, <laughs> you know, it's sort of, sometimes we have to call their baby ugly and they naturally get offended by that occasionally. But I think in the end, it's all good. I want to talk, um, you know, cloud migration, how do you view cloud and uh, kind of what's the scope of that here at Juniper? Yeah, there's a long conversation. Um, I know before the recording, we were chatting about my history a little bit and Sun Microsystems in particular. And uh, a quick shout out because Sun had this vision back when I was CIO at Sun of utility computing, we called it. Mm -hmm. But if you peel back what that message was all about, it was, hey, idiots, the network is the computer, right? That was the old tagline. And everything is going to run in some other computer someday, right? Just get over it. And so I sort of was raised in this environment uh, where um, some forward thinkers at Sun kind of envisioned the day when everything would be utility computing based. Well, you fast forward 20 years and that's kind of where we're at today. Everything is cloud-based, right? It's effectively running your application or service um, in a utility sort of model on somebody else's machine. So I was very happy when I joined uh, Juniper uh, to realize that they also embraced that notion uh, from our founder up through the board and the, the current CEO that, you know, we're selling our products to customers who are moving to the cloud. We, Juniper, better figure out what the advantages are in that model, right? Both to take advantage of them from a business perspective, but also so we can tune our products to sell to customers who are moving in that space. And so before I arrived at Juniper, uh, the board uh, set aside a big set of money, a big initiative to move everything to the cloud. And they adopted this cloud-only policy, not cloud first, not cloud second or third, but cloud only. And so over the course of a number of years, um, we have finally have achieved that. We shut down our last data center on December 18th last year. And so today, besides what we call internally the lab engineering assets, besides those assets, everything else runs somewhere else, some cloud of some sort. And so we can talk about that journey and the benefits and so on and so forth, but it's literally by policy, the only option we have at Juniper. Yeah. And so we don't really talk much about it. You know, if somebody has an idea for an application, we don't even entertain the idea of running it on-prem. There's no, there's nowhere to run it. <laughs> which is kind of a benefit. It's like, I don't have a data center even if I wanted to. Yeah. So you better figure out which SaaS provider or which infrastructure provider you're going to use or what have you. And then let us IT stitch those services together for you in a seamless way and provide security and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, the idea of anything on-prem is sort of passe here. I think we're about 120 interviews into this show. And I don't think I've heard anyone explain it kind of in the same in the same way. I think mo almost everyone has some type of hybrid kind of. Most companies have to. Um, and, you know, it sort of gets into our journey. I think 
it's fair to criticize that our journey took a while, right? <laughs> um, seven years, but there's a lot of stuff to deal with in that seven years. And I think what happens to a lot of companies is they run into those obstacles and then they, they either don't have the willpower or the backing of the board or the CEO to overcome those obstacles. Yeah. And so they get stuck and they get stuck in that hybrid model. And there were some things for us that were really difficult along the way. We could have easily just given up. Uh, but again, credit to Pradeep, the founder of the company, and Rami and our board who said, no, you guys don't get what cloud only means. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so they helped us overcome some of those obstacles. But um, I think, again, for a lot of companies, I think they sort of get stuck. And what were some of those obstacles? You know, it really comes down to, I use this analogy a lot just to sort of simplify it, but if you think about all the junk you've got in your garage that's been accumulating for years. I'm like, moving right now. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. And it is horrible. Exactly. Gosh. So so you stand there one Saturday morning scratching your head and say, okay, I'm going to tackle this problem, right? And there's inevitably some stuff that's really easy. You haven't used it in years. You can just toss it, get rid of it, donate it, whatever. Flat football. Yeah, exactly. Know, right? like there's that easy stuff. And that was the stuff we dealt with in the first couple of years. Then you run into the stuff that's like, well, I might use it, right? I want, I might want that extra roll of tape or that whatever that I'm going to use someday in the future. Okay, so you set that stuff aside and you worry about it later. And then you come to the stuff that is really difficult. Maybe you've got some emotional attachment to it. It's your grandfather's, you know, XYZ or your the China that your grandmother gave you or something, right? And so you parse through all that stuff and what you realize is, it's going to take some effort, either emotional effort to overcome or maybe some money to invest to, to deal with in our case. And so in the early years of that transformation, we dealt with the easy things up front and we started to parse through the things that were more challenging. And the bulk of those had to do with the fact that we ran into applications that had been here running for 20 years. Wow. Right. So we found a whole bunch of things that either A, no one claimed ownership to. It's just been running for 20 years. B, no one really knew what the heck the thing was doing, right? It's been running for 20 years. It generates some information occasionally. Um, so we had to go through literally thousands of those cases, right? So as you do that over the course of years, you start to narrow the problem set until you finally end up with that pile of stuff in your garage, which is, okay, no one's claiming ownership. It looks really valuable or important. Can't figure out what it is. I got two choices. I'm either just going to throw it away or stick it in a box and move it to my next house and deal with it later. And what took us the long or the final leg of the transformation was frankly getting up the courage to just throw it away. Yeah. Right? We literally got to the point in December we had 78 of these things left after a 7 year journey, 78 of them on a list. And we sat in a room like this and we said, "Okay, we're going to pull the plug on December 18th." We're pretty confident, but we all know December 19th, someone's going to call, right? And so we had a little powwow with our CEO staff and said, okay, we've been working at this for seven years. It's time. And um, sure enough, we pulled the plug and some people called on the 19th and we said, we've been calling you now for seven years, right? Or your manager or your vice president. Time's up. Cry on somebody else's shoulder. And so it was really important that we had the backing of our CEO and again, the board to say, you guys have been at this long enough, right? Long-winded to answer to your question, but it's, 
it's a challenge for a lot of companies because of the legacy, right? If it was all greenfield, it'd be pretty easy. If you're starting a brand new company, you wouldn't even think about it. But having 20 years of just sorting through it and making sense of it all, um, finding owners for it and understanding, do you still need it? Could we move it to Amazon or Azure or somewhere? If so, then do you want to refactor the application so it's a kind of cloud native application? Or do you just want to pick up the box of junk and move it to another garage? All those questions and uh, conversations uh, just take a lot of time. It reminds me of like, you know, or to, to extend the analogy of like, you know, moving to a smaller home, right? Where it's like, okay, these are the 78 boxes that are labeled that, you know, like maybe, right? But we don't have the square footage anymore. <laughs> There's nowhere for this stuff to go. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I love the way that you said that, you know, it's cloud only and to just go back and like go back to the mantra and it's like, it's cloud only. So like this stuff has to, it's either the dump or it's just the dump because we don't have the, we don't have the square footage. Yeah. I can't tell you how many meetings before I arrived and after I arrived, we were sitting at and you know, the phrase, what part of no, did you not understand? Yeah. Right. There is nowhere to go. So deal with it. And it was a really difficult conversation. Um, a lot of escalations. It really forced people to do projects and activities they didn't want to do or weren't thinking. Yeah. Of, that's right? what gives me my next question. Like, yeah. what, what is that? What's the tiger team look like that has to tackle that? And like, you know, I mean, that's, it's not potentially the most exciting thing, but as with all kind of transformations, it's like when you take off the rucksack and you right. have all the things stripped away and you realize like, Hey, it's just me. I have no more things. Like I can run really fast now. I'm sure like, you know, showing that to those people, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven years later. But yeah, I mean, you, you have, to, you have to employ lots of change management methodologies, right? As the professionals would say, the way I say it is you just embarrass people publicly until they comply. Right. <laughs> Cause you get down to that list of 78 things and ultimately you can align those 78 things to an organization at least. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, these belong to HR, these belong to engineering. And then you just start talking about them publicly and at CEO staff and other places where you put people in uncomfortable situations and you say, head of HR, I'm just making this up. The only reason we're going to have to renew the data center lease is because you can't decide what to do with those two products. Right? Yeah. And we've been working on this for seven years. That sort of public shaming works pretty well. Yeah. Were you having conversations like, you know, this costs us blank and we could get an off the shelf application. Oh, yeah. Like we Absolutely. could, we could do this for one tenth the cost and it'll, the, it'll take us three months to implement. Yeah, absolutely. The first sort of marching order was wherever you have crusty old homegrown custom applications, just replace them with some standard off the shelf product, right? That's the best answer. If you can't do that for some reason, then don't just move that dirty box from one garage to another, refactor it, it reinvent the application so it can take advantage of all the native capacities of the cloud. And that's where people were uncomfortable because that requires work, right? And so we were asking or demanding some of the business units to go spend money on this project, which, yeah. you know, to them was light housekeeping. It wasn't going to return a whole lot of benefit in the short term. You know, part of our change management program was to share with them some of the benefits they're going to get longer term, right? So simple examples, like a lot of these old applications never were designed with the idea of disaster recovery in mind. Mm -hmm. It's like, we're never going to have an earthquake. 
well, gee, if you refactor your auth- your application to run natively on Amazon, as an example, you can take free advantage of you know disaster recovery and all the resiliency that you get with that. Or security. Or security, one, yeah. right. So, you know, we played to the heartstrings of the business leaders and, you know, just through grinding through all those conversations year over year, we got, got finally got it done. In the process, were you helping them vet these technologies? Like, were it seems like you would really have to have your ear to the ground on like new vendors, new technologies to be able to like plug in and recommend these sort of things like, you know, best of breed solutions or whatever it is. Yeah, in a lot of cases we could and were. In many others, you know, we just don't have the subject matter expertise necessarily. Um, so, for example, if there's a hardcore, well, I'll use the HR example instead. If there's something that's very specific to HR, human resources, that I'm just not a subject matter expert on, I can probably advise on who the four or five leading providers are, but I've got to get an HR expert to help decide which is the best of those choices. In other cases, or in the case where we were looking for technologies that were more associated with security or what I'd refer to as plumbing, right, the sort of core infrastructure, my team, our team went out and made those recommendations to the business because we are the subject matter experts. So in some cases, it was a bit of, you know, working together, whereas in other cases, we were just kind of leading the leading the charge. I'm curious if like to get those kind of like subject matter expertise, if like some of the things came up in kind of like the diligence of like getting to the list of 78, it's like figuring out why they actually use the applications. Because I think that a lot of times, you know, business units, the person who bought the thing no longer works here in the first place or had it built or whatever it is. And they use it for like a list of tasks that it's not even supposed to be used for, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so like figuring out even why they are using things, I'm sure is like half the discovery, half the fun as it were. Yeah, fun is an interesting choice of words. But but yeah, that was part of the conversation. Even from the very beginning of this, if you start out with 2,000 things that you got to go deal with, for every one of them, the first question is, do you need it anymore? What the heck does it do? <laughs> But yeah, in the final analysis, we ended up at that 11th hour with some things, as I said before, that no one really understood what they were doing or why they were built or who relied on it or what have you. And you would think with a company of only 10,000 people, you'd find someone to raise their hand. But most of those cases, the people had long come and gone. And so there were people who organizationally were kind of responsible, but really didn't have enough knowledge about it. So it's just grinding through it. We're almost at a year since that happened, right? Yeah. So what what do we feel like now? It's, it seems like, you know, fit to fight, you know, drop some weight, you know, <laughs> run around, you know, like, is it, is it all, is it all, uh, you know, rainbows and happiness? Um, I'd say it's mostly rainbows and happiness. Um, we said another way, we haven't had an instance in a year where someone's come back and said, hey, we need to go find a little co-location site because we have to run these things Mm -hmm. on-premise. You haven't had that once. No. Well, technically once, yes. But the 99.9 percentile is, hey, that's great. We got over that emotionally. We're beyond that. So help us go figure out instead. We found all these cool new products out in the cloud. Help us, you IT, help us stitch the stuff together. Yeah. Because what happens when you do this cloud-only or even the hybrid solution, you end up with services or applications running all over the place, right? And four or five, 10 or a hundred different cloud services. How do you make that a seamless experience for the customer, right? You don't want the customer, our internal customers to have to log into yeah. 12 different 
sites, right? And then pretty soon you start passing data between those 12 different sites. And you got to do that in a safe and reliable and efficient way. So most of the conversations now are people coming back to IT as the plumbing experts and saying, hey, okay, we found another cool tool. We can stand it up in 24 hours, but we need you to provide single sign-on and security and all that kind of stuff. And so we've become the integrators of services as opposed to sort of building services, which is, you know, it's a change in the IT role, but I think kind of a cool change. Yeah. I mean, we, we always talk about kind of like the ticket taking mentality or the like KTLO mentality versus the actual innovation part of this is like helping people improve how things are rather than keeping the lights on. How have you looked at like internal innovation? Do you feel like employees are more motivated to create things? Are they more creative about solutions when there's kind of not the kind of burden of the legacy? You know, I I think there's two parts to that question. One is there is still a necessary component of our jobs, which is keeping the lights on, right? Yeah. Um, We still take tickets and deal with that. But I will say on the case of the applications teams, when you sort of take off the handcuffs of only being able to develop a Java application or only being able to develop an application that will talk to Oracle, right? You take off those handcuffs and say, go find the best solution, right, first, and then let's figure out how it plays in our cloud-first strategy. It absolutely drives uh, a sense of innovation, right, or or a sense of freedom for people to go innovate more. And we've seen that firsthand. A lot of our developers um, who are creating some really, you know, interesting and innovative ideas with a business, even a couple of years ago when we were more constrained in in our model, you know, we would have come up with kind of boring traditional answers. I think the people that embrace that model, who embrace the idea of not being confined to a particular solution, thrive here. People who like a little more certainty and structure and predictability in their roles probably don't enjoy working here as much. And part of our journey through that seven years was explaining to people in IT, your job's going to change. Yeah. Right? And- Sorry, we love you, but if that's not what you want to do, you ought to start thinking about your career differently. And so we tried to upsell the positives, right? The innovation and freedom and those kinds of things. And a lot of people, you know, fortunately for us, the attrition rate has been really low through that process. But for a few individuals, they really cherish the old days when, you know, I want to go touch the servers in the data center. Yeah. Okay. A lot of companies where that's still necessary, but not here. What? piece of advice would you have for folks that are trying to do the same thing and just say, like, you know, we're going to do cloud only? So back to, I've said this a couple of times indirectly, but if you haven't got vehement support from your leadership, whoever that is, in our case, the board of directors and our CEO, then you're dead in the water, right? Don't fool yourself because this is not, never was at Juniper and never will be at any company. It's not an IT led project or it can't be, it really has to be a business-led project for all the reasons that we talked about, all the decisions that have to get made and all the stuff you're going to throw away. So you need to have a conversation about uh, the transition with your leadership and get them really on board emotionally. If you can do that, then, you know, the rest is somewhat downhill because there have been a a number of companies and, and the industry itself has matured to the point that a lot of Consulting firms and third-party companies can help you with the mechanics of doing the work. That's not so hard. But 
if you're not emotionally on board, you're sort of dead. To your second question about, you know, whether the benefits are worth it or not, I think there are lots of people who will tell you that economically it's probably a wash. Mm-hmm. Right. In fact, you've seen companies kind of withdrawing from the cloud now, yeah. right? And that's an interesting movement going on in a lot of places. That's just an economics problem, right? At some point, you reach an economy of, of scale in the cloud where it becomes less expensive for you to once again go buy a data center, right? Yeah. But until you reach that curve, my argument would be cost is important, but more important to us at least is what you get out of that migration to the cloud is flexibility and time to market. I can tell you with absolute certainty that four or five years ago, if someone came to us and said, hey, we need an app, an HR application that does X, Y, and Z. We'd say, great, you know, give us six months and, you know, four months of testing and come back in a year and it'll be ready. Now it's literally a conversation of, okay, go to the your favorite quadrant, find a leader yeah. in that technology, sign a license, drop the software up in Amazon or Azure or wherever, and bang, next week we're up and running. And so it's driven this incredible perception change, I think, of the responsiveness of IT. Um, it's helped our business be more agile. Those things are often hard to measure quantitatively. So I think there's, at worst, sort of cost neutral on the on the OPEX side, but more importantly, at least for us, is kind of those softer benefits. We've talked a lot about on the show about like, you know, internal employee applications and being able to build like low code and stuff. And our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Platform, always kind of evangelizes for those people. And I'm curious, like, you know, do you do things that drive like innovation where people can solve problems like really quickly, things like hackathons and things like that, where you can have like employees in the business participate in those kind of solutions? We don't typically, uh, we meaning IT in the sense, we don't uh, sort of generate or host a lot of those traditional hackathons, but our model here is a little different. And what I mean by that is many of our larger internal organizations like our sales organization, like our customer service organization, they have their own technology teams. Oh, wow. And so part of that, it sort of gets back to the subject matter expertise thing, right? Is we, Juniper, want technical people who are really close to the business and can work creative and innovative solutions on behalf of the business as quickly as possible and rely then on the core IT group, my, my own group, to provide that plumbing and connectivity. So what we do um, do quite often is get those technical teams together in friendly competition or more often it's sort of training and social gatherings, right? To ensure that those teams are, A, getting along really well, sharing innovation, sharing ideas. Um, We bring in, you know, some of our third parties, whether it be the SFTCs or Googles or or Amazons or Microsofts, and we host technology days for those teams collectively. Mm-hmm. So we really try and create that community. We don't do it in that sort of hackathon methodology, or we don't use that method typically, but in other ways, we try to drive that innovation across the company. We were talking before this about the legacy of Sun Microsystems and really just how much innovation it created. You know, you were obviously, it was a huge part of your career. I just I'm curious, like, what was it like kind of like back then and then throughout the process to see your peers and people from that organization, like, go on to build amazing things and like kind of the culture of innovation there? Let me say, as I start, I I have this tremendous love for Juniper Networks. And part of the love for the company here is that it shares a lot of the same 
actual DNA. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of former Sun people working here, but also some of the same principles of culture. Um, and so I felt when I joined Juniper, I felt very at home. But Sun was an amazing experience. Um, there was kind of a unique sense of, and this I think came from Scott and the rest of the founders, there was an incredible sense of freedom for innovation and thought and experimentation. If you think back to the story of Java and some of the other innovations, Scott was smart enough to say to the inventors of Java, you know, go away. We'll go find a building for you that's outside the corporate domain, right? Because he knew that big corporations have a certain bureaucracy to them, right? And so those kinds of simple examples permeated the company. And whether it was in IT or in engineering or HR or wherever, we were never shy or gun shy about trying something new. And if it failed, there was no sense of, you know, failure or, oh my God, my job's going to be at risk or any of those kinds of things. That sort of molded me personally to, you know, take more risk maybe in my career than I would have otherwise. It also, I think, was the engine behind generating a lot of creative uh, leaders who then branched out into other segments of the industry. Um, Hundreds of CEOs um, leading companies around the world that sort of came from that that nursery of Sun Microsystem back in the day. So I think the legacy is really strong for what Scott and the others um, laid down some 25 years, <laughs> 30 years ago. Um, and it's been great uh, motivation for me ever since. And this is, you know, for you being a multi-time CIO and seeing kind of like those changes over time, what are, what have been kind of like this time around some of the things that you've kind of maybe changed or noticed or, or done differently to kind of, kind of refine your skill set? It's amazing how many things have stayed the same. We slap new labels on them and, you know, we call it cloud computing now, yeah. right? Or, or digitization or something. So a lot of things, digital have, transformation, digital transformation. Totally. a lot of things have stayed the same. Um, but some of the things that have changed, I think for the good, both good and bad, I guess, is the security story. So in the sense of cybersecurity, you know, even 20 years ago, yeah, we talked about it, but it wasn't the pervasive threat that it is today. In my job today, the vast majority of my time is centered around cybersecurity and what's going on in the in the world. That has forced me to sort of not reinvent, but stay very focused in terms of educating myself about what's going on and, yeah. and so on and so forth. The move to these public clouds, as we've been talking about, is certainly new, but in a sense was thought about many, many years ago. But what's nice to see is that companies that we use and work with have overcome the operational challenges of moving to the cloud. So uh, I'll just use the Amazon example because we we are good customers of theirs. They've simplified the the process of onboarding the applications, of mm-hmm. managing the applications. In the early days when I was dealing with it, you'd really have to go through a lot of hoops to get it all to work. So that's been a great uh, change of late. And I guess the last thing is, you know, the people in IT, the people who are coming into the IT organization, they have a new sort of energizing spirit about them. Mm-hmm. Two jobs ago, um, you'd find a lot of very infrastructure-focused people, right, who liked servers and hard drives and a lot of network people and all of that. And those those roles are still around. But nowadays, you're finding a lot of software people, uh, people who might otherwise work at, you know, the Amazons and Googles and Facebooks of the world coming here 
to apply software skills to what used to be infrastructure problems. Yeah. So it's fascinating to watch the transformation of hardware into software. And some people make that transaction well and some don't. You know, it's it's emblematic of kind of like what it even means to be in IT or a CIO anymore. And like a lot of the conversations that we have where, you know, like you have the CISO reporting to you, other organizations don't. Sometimes the CTO is responsible for all internal IT. Sometimes that's different. And like you can see these kind of like, pardon a, a better word here, but like the hybrid worker who's like, yeah, they're, they can code, they can do all that sort of stuff, but they can also solve, you know, take tickets, do stuff like that. Like yeah. it's a different kind of like athlete than it, than it used to be. It seems like, do you find that finding talent and looking for that is just different now? It's different. I mean, you use your analogy. If you're uh, think of a baseball analogy, you know, there's utility players mm -hmm. and there's the home run Kings, right? And you're always going to be looking, keeping an eye out for that person who can hit the home runs time after time. But having really good utility players is, in my books, even more valuable. Um, we're in a particularly unique situation when it comes to recruiting just because of where we sit physically here, um, surrounded by you yeah. know <laughs> some famous names. And yet, despite that, our ability to attract and retain talent is remarkably high. Part of that is because... I think we respect the value of the utility player. We don't put people in a box, right? We don't say, okay, you're only going to do, you know, X, Y, Z for the next 10 years. In fact, in our network team, a uh, very traditional sort of uh, hardware focused role, we've hired, I don't know, just in the past year, three, four software individuals who, yeah. who knew nothing about networking with the whole idea that we want to encourage more of that software thinking right in in our in, in our own infrastructure world so we're trying to take advantage of the bright minds that are out there and um, give them the opportunity to blossom here through innovation and experimentation do you think that like it seems like your use case of kind of being a ceo driven uh board driven decision to make this you know cloud only migration like it's kind of the the proven case for like, oh, how important is IT? Like we're investing so much time, effort, and energy and resources into making sure our employees have more flexibility, more agility, have an easier time selecting technologies and implementing them. Like it seems like all of those investments are all in the employees of the company. And you hear all the time the Fortune 500 CEOs say, uh, our, you know, employees are our most important asset. And yet, like the tools that support them oftentimes are 20 years old. Yeah. So it's kind of like, well, is how could that be true? And then also, you know, sometimes CIOs feel marginalized or like don't have a seat at the table. Obviously you do. Like, how would you, you know, when you're talking to your peers about kind of like that dichotomy, um, how do you, how do you all kind of talk about that behind closed doors? Yeah. It's one of those things that, you know, at CIO roundtables, everyone wants to talk about is who do you report to? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, or who reports to you. And, you know, I've, I've had it both ways. I've reported into the CFO and the CEO of several companies. I think my opinion is it's less important who you report to than how you operate. Right. At the end of the day, the fact that I report into Rami is, convenient, but not necessary. Yeah. If I'm a good leader and know my skills well enough, I'm going to go build the relationships I need to with all those people anyway. So, you know, I guess it could be viewed as a handicap if you're reporting into the CFO who might always have a financial view of everything you're doing, but 
you know, as a senior leader of the company, if you see a bad decision being made, it's your obligation to go fight, right? Yeah, well, that's um, the cost center question, right? Is like right. if IT is a cost center, then it's kind of a, a hard thing. But you see, like we had Juan Perez, the CIO of, of uh, UPS on, and he was talking about how it's like, you know, with the data that he has access to, he was like, hey, this will save us, you know, $5 million. Like, let's do this. And that's like, you know, from from leveraging, you know, data about how trucks are turning and, you know, RFIDs, all that sort of stuff. Like, that's not, you know, a data center thing, right? Like, that's a totally, that's a business thing. And when the CIO can bring business insights to leadership, it's just a much different conversation, it seems like. Yeah, I think, you know, I guess maybe some unsolicited advice for people looking to become a CIO one day, you just have to really know your audience. You know? Yeah. If you understand what's going to drive a decision-making process for the CFO or the CEO or the head of engineering or the head of HR, you got to speak their language, right? You're not going to go in there and say, hey, I've got this great technology solution that's going to cost money and, you know, cause problems. You're going to go in there and sell it in the language that they understand. And so, again, you know, whether you're reporting into the CEO or the CFO or COO, you just, you still have to get out there and sell your ideas, right, on their own merits. But you have to sort of couch your ideas in language that they understand and get them in the boat, so to speak. What technologies are you really excited about and messing around with? Like, are you are you using, you know, robotic processing automation? Are you messing around with AI and blockchain, stuff like that? Yeah, so there's a couple things that uh, are pretty exciting. So AI, uh, absolutely, AI, machine learning. I think that's, you know, I think we would all agree that's probably the next uh exciting and potentially useful and also scary thing coming yeah. at us. We use it today in in an operational sense in a number of ways. Uh, some of Juniper's products, uh, you know, the wireless APs that we have, our SkyTP product, a lot of our solutions that we sell to customers use auto, artificial intelligence on the back end to sort of triangulate data and look for patterns and those kinds of things. And from a CIO perspective, that's particularly helpful because it helps me in the security story, right? I rely on artificial intelligence to look for anomalous patterns of network traffic and detect when you're doing something that's obviously wrong versus just weird, right? <laughs> um, and I make no bones about the fact that I will watch everything you're doing on our network, right? When you step into our offices, I have my obligation to the shareholders is to protect the assets of the company, that gives me the right to inspect the network. Mm -hmm. um, but that requires these uh, very intelligent engines on the back end to help us sift through all the noise, right? So artificial intelligence plays a big role in our operations today. Going forward, I think, you know, the blockchain question, we're really not doing too much with blockchain at the moment. The other thing that's going to be big for us individually is sort of back to the cloud story. How do you continue to make these multiple cloud sources and, and uh, applications run as seamlessly as possible. Again, Juniper's got some solutions in this space, Contrail and some other products. The trick is being able to not just move an application to Amazon and then move it next week to Azure, but it's being able to do it in seconds, right? And to move not an application, but a, a workload, a particular processing workload in real time and to arbitrate that across maybe five or six different clouds in real time. That's really exciting. I think that's where some of the economics will come back in favor. It's a difficult thing to do still for the industry, but um, pretty excited about that. 
the last last area is really just continuing to drive innovation across the company, whether it be you know working with our marketing team on digital transformation, whether it be oh yeah, shout out to marketing. <laughs> Um, working with our engineering team, we're, um, we're always deploying their latest, greatest products to try and make us more secure and more operationally efficient. So it's a great business to be in digital transformation because, uh, it's always ongoing, right? <laughs> it's a work in, it's a, it's the work in progress. No side. one knows what it means and it's always ongoing. Yeah. It's like, but it's, it's like a Caltrain's project. Yeah, it is. But I think, you know, I think that that, that it truly is kind of like the mark of, of the, of the great companies that are kind of like always in a digital transformation that is kind of never ending because, you know, if you're done, uh, that's probably not a good thing. Cause, cause everything is changing. Yeah. Are you, you're not messing with, uh, with RPA at all, or we are doing some RPA. Uh, we've got some projects underway in our finance organization mm-hmm. to do RPA for invoice matching and, and those kinds of things. RPA every, finance is like every, every finance is the first RPA project yeah. for like every company. And with all due respect, uh, in case he ever listens to this broadcast, you know, we are doing it. The reason I don't talk about it much is because behind the scenes, it's kind of, Back to an earlier comment, it's glorified scripts, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and we were doing this 20 years ago. We just yeah. didn't call it RPA. So now it's got this new following and this new branding and everything. And so it's kind of hip to be cool again. Uh, so we are doing it. I just, I see some benefits from it, but. It's a work in progress. It's, yeah, work in progress. Um, all right, let's get into lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like the Salesforce platform. Go to salesforce.com slash build mobile apps to learn more about lightning fast innovation on the world's number one CRM. Lightning round questions. Bob, are you ready? Sure. What app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? The most fun? SigAlert. What's, I don't know. SigAlert <laughs> is a traffic application. <laughs> I have a miserable commute and oh. it saves me every day. I right, so well, we're, we're heading, we're heading from Sunnyvale <laughs> back to the East Bay. So I'm right there with you. What do you do for fun? My wife and I spend a lot of time flipping houses. No uh, kidding. Remodeling and that kind of stuff. You're probably doing well. It takes, uh, takes a lot of aggression out when you're swinging a hammer. Yeah. So, so you're actually swinging the hammer. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, I'm kind of handy. So a lot of furniture building and remodeling, that kind of stuff. So as someone who's uh, in the process of buying a house right now, uh, I can tell you, you know, I think this whole like flipper flop kind of like generation <laughs> is really exciting. Like people get, it's the same thing as I always say, like entrepreneurship is like the best thing that happened has happened in America, like Shark Tank, because everybody, like the idea, like idea generation is now something people think about. But yeah, same thing with flipping houses. It's exciting. Everybody, like nobody wants to like work, like fix their house, but no, it's great when it's you can good. flip. It's very, yeah, it's got a great uh, release to it. Yeah. Best advice for a first time CIO. Think externally, externally meaning the business. Don't worry about the network. Don't worry about the servers. You've got smart people to go handle that. Deal, spend your time with the business. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? What cool things is IT working on? What cool things is IT working on? So for us, uh, we've made a lot of headway in solving a fundamental problem for the company on our own initiative, which is to call together all virtually all of the data across the company from supply chain to engineering, to HR, to finance, to sales, to customers, and putting that in a single data lake with all of the security you can imagine in a very effective way, very cost-effective way, and enabling the leaders of the business to start asking questions they've never been able to ask before. We've got 
so much business now, we're turning it down. We've got a line of people at the door. Oh, that's great. Which never happens in IT, so that's a sign of success. And um, yeah, we're having a lot of fun doing that. Awesome, Bob. This has been great. Any uh, any final things to plug? Anything our listeners should check out? Juniper's a very innovative company. Uh, we've got some really cool and exciting stuff coming around security and uh, again, multi-cloud and AI, uh, all the products. Uh, surely we can help you with your cloud journey and uh, give us a call. Awesome. And if you're a utility uh, IT professional, uh, reach out. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. <laughs>